This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Yannick Maya, and joining me this week is friend of the show, Richard. Hello. Hello. Uh, I've known Richard for 16 years now, which means technically I've known you for longer than I've known you of you, which is kind of weird. Oh, wow. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. Are you saying that I have to, I have to take over his duties now? No, <laughs> unfortunately not. Uh, but you are one of the few people I actually interact with regularly online that I've known for that long. So it's pretty cool uh, to finally get you on the show. And I think you're also the person who sends in the most follow up to the show. So it's kind of fitting. <laughs> uh, this week, we're going to be talking about Japanese train stations. Uh, Richard was in Japan for many years and has a lot of opinions on it. And I go to Japan semi regularly. So I also have lots of opinions on them. And we're going to share them throughout this episode. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, I do have one item of follow up, uh, which is about the VTuber episode that we did a couple months ago. Uh, at the time, I mentioned that Hololife had opened the audition process for English VTubers. And last week, at the time of recording, uh, Hololive English officially came out and uh, did their first streams, and the the world was taken by storm by Gargura, which is the most adorable <laughs> shark in the world. She says, ah, it's really cute. You should go check her out on YouTube. Uh, there are a bunch of other ones, but they're less important. Uh, I, I'm just bringing this up because, A, it's literally following up on something that we talked about on the show and also because uh, i have heard from numerous people who were not particularly interested in vtubers before uh when it was primarily a japanese thing uh who are into it now that they can actually understand what they're saying which makes sense <laughs> uh so if you were on the fence with vtubers maybe now is a time to check it out i'm not particularly into this group even with the cute shark mainly because right now they haven't really streamed anything interesting but uh they still have plenty of time to try and woo me over. So I guess we'll see in the coming weeks what's going to happen with that. <laughs> I've got to say, um, after after the um, the VTuber episode, I was actually kind of half intrigued. And I do have Gorgura's first video in my to-watch list. So, yeah. <laughs> what's really sad is I actually found out this week that you can scrape using the api how much money they made from donations don't ever what? do that for these what? vtubers you will hate yourself uh so yeah th that's a thing so yeah oh yikes mm. yeah <laughs> uh so let's get into the topic japanese train stations uh i'm not gonna lie this topic mostly came up because of quarantine escapism uh <laughs> i miss my friends in japan a whole ton and uh, luckily, there are plenty of YouTubers out there, like the excellent Ramblack, who takes 4K captures of walks around various locations in Japan. And mm. I particularly like the ones where she walks by uh, train stations, because I get to immerse myself in the soundscape that I miss so much of the train stations. Uh, and I also get to look at them sometimes if I'm not actually working while I listen to it. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's pretty great. Uh, I assume you've been doing some of the same because it sort of felt that way. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yes. Um, one of my recent purchases was a, was it was a rail map of Europe. It's just like all of, all of the rail lines across Europe. And I just want to spread the map out and just look and imagine myself in all the places I could be right now, but can't be. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Back when I was in the high school, uh, like, 
we had exams on computers at certain times, and they were like, oh, you'd finish your exam, you can't leave, but you can go on the internet, which I always <laughs> found kind of suspicious, because, like, that just gives me the opportunity to communicate with the rest of the people in the room <laughs> via the internet, but whatever. Yep. Uh, and I would just go on Google Maps and look at the various train lines in Japan, and, like, this was maybe 10 years before I actually went to Japan. No, not 10 years. Like, maybe five years before I actually ended up going to Japan. And I was like, oh, this looks so cool. You could get to Yokohama from this, 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 and this. And, like, eventually I would actually go ahead and do that, which was really cool. Uh, so I totally get the map thing. Like, maps are super engrossing, especially rail maps. Uh, mm. I'm into that. Uh, <laughs> b- before we talk about, like, particulars of uh, stations, I do have a little bit about the history of Japanese train stations that I want to go through. Mm. Uh, and then it sort of ties back to an evergreen topic on the show. No surprise. Uh, so <laughs> in 1872, uh, Shinbashi and Yokohama were the first train station buildings to open in Japan. Uh, what's actually kind of strange about these stations is that they didn't have clocks displayed anywhere. And this was long before common people in Japan would have clocks or pocket watches. Hmm. So the way they actually solved this problem so that you would know the exact time is the government actually installed a massive bell atop of a hill to the east of Shinbashi, and they would ring it every hour. Uh, oh. Prior to the installation of that bell, the only way that they knew the exact time was there was a signal gun fired at noon from the emperor's palace, and that's it. Uh-huh. Now, strangely, uh, and this sort of mirrors basically all municipalities around the world uh, in 2020, uh, they stopped the bell ringing because the area residents complained too much. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what a surprise. Um, But yeah, so originally, like, these train stations were more or less just train platforms, a very basic, maybe kind of what you can expect from, like, an Enoshima train station. Uh, I believe the actual Enoshima station, uh, Enoden station, is literally just two planks of wood next to a train tracks and that makes it actually pretty cool if you're there in person but it's it was more or less what you could expect back in those days mm. um the end of world war one brought modernist architecture to the world of railway station design although it would take until after world war ii for it to really reach japan like we're still wor- working with time delays we don't have the meme society that we live in today uh, mm. so it's a little bit delayed and this modernist approach to station architecture stripped a lot of the community flavor and distinct adornments out of the station design it was more or less focused on utilitarian fo- function and efficiency Uh, So there was this convergence towards rectangular boxes of reinforced concrete, and there was this more or less consistent look across the country. Uh, In the 70s, uh, Namiki Oka, which is a urban transport commentator for the Asahi Shimbun, said that aluminum arcades and uh, colored tin roofs had given the same look to towns all across Japan while talking to the person who would eventually become the president of the Minato Mirai line uh, and... It's going to show eventually. Uh, So, yeah, by the 70s, like, designers started to get this idea that the pendulum of design was headed back into the opposite direction and that would basically cause two things to happen. Uh, The Mm. first was more on the building design and architecture side, which was, like, the questions being asked changed. It was, why can't we have considerate, efficient, like, user experience design while also preserving an artistic flair? Can we have easy-to-use stations that express the individuality of the areas around them and still attract users instead of mm. just boring slabs of concrete? Uh, and then 
there was this expansion into in-station services. Uh, how can we expand what's available within the station building to facilitate the everyday lives of commuters? And this really saw its peak in the mid-80s with uh, station-adjacent mall development or development within the station walls itself. Uh, Various train stations would form subsidiaries focusing on the expansion of in-station food and retail. Uh, Tokyo Metro had one in, I think, 1982 called Metro Commerce, which still exists today. Uh, there was expansion into other kinds of services like hotels. Uh, you can see the JR East Hotel Mets that recently opened in Akihabara Station as a good example of that kind of thing. And I think like all of this sort of culminates in 1987 with the privatization of Japanese National Railways. Uh, it's kind mm -hmm. of the turning point for the business model of Japanese railways, which is kind of subsidized transport, monetize the destination. Mm. There are kind of three phases that were outlined in all of that. There was the first phase, which is more or less until World War One, which is railway as king. Uh, <laughs> don't really care so much about the rest of the modes of transportation. Just take the train because it's pretty much your only option. Uh, mm -hmm. Phase two, automobile ousts the railway as the main uh, mode of transport. You get this modernist station design that more or less tries to compete with the efficiency of cars to some mm. degree. Uh, World War One to mid-1980s. And then you have this phase three, which is the one we're in right now, which is station surface transition points between various modes of transport, whether it be walking, biking, taxis, bus, ride sharing, all that stuff. Mm. So that's the phase we're kind of in right now. And you kind of see that as making stations as a destination. It's like those stations remain a, an attractive destination, whether you are using a train or not. Right, yeah. Does this more or less map how you've experienced things in Europe and the UK? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I, 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 can, I can certainly certainly think back to at least the second and third phases. Um, I remember there was there was certainly a period in... I want to say like the 60s, 70s and like start of early 80s where where trains were functional to say the least. Um and it's only in more recent times that things have been have, have started getting a bit more um yeah, like you said a bit more artistic but also at the same time commercial and integrated. Mm -hmm. Um so so yeah, I I definitely think that's 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 a worldwide um phase change phenomenon that's that's been happening. The phase three I found particularly interesting because this entire episode kind of also came to me. Well, I didn't know it was going to be this episode at the time because I was structuring it a completely different way. But a year mm. ago, almost exactly a year ago, something got me thinking about the role of railway companies in Japanese society. And this is going to sound mm. completely stupid, but it's true. Uh, Uber held a press conference on the exact same day that the iPhone 11 embargo dropped. And because of that, <laughs> okay. absolutely nobody clicked on that except for me because it was clickbait for me it was they stated that their goal was to become the operating system for everyday urban life and like i saw that phrase Ooh. and i was like oh my god i need to figure out what the hell they're talking about Ooh, okay yeah <laughs> yeah so i i think i see what what they're trying to, to to say there yeah but at the same time it's uber yeah uh, so they identified personal transportation, food delivery, and package delivery as three businesses that are crucial to everyday urban life, which is like mm. pretty fair. I, I don't disagree with that. And yep. on that day, they were launching a redesign of the Uber app that, as far as I know, has never actually shown up anywhere. Like, <laughs> I think it was on some PowerPoint slides, and then they forgot 
about it or something, or everyone revolted. I don't know. Uh, uh-huh. But this redesign had two main things. Uh, it could accommodate non-Uber transportation methods uh, with mm. directions and eventually ticketing via the Uber app. Uh, mm-hmm. Like the demo that they were showing uh, throughout the presentation and afterwards in the press interviews and all that stuff was uh, you could look up directions for the New York subway from mm-hmm. the Uber app. And eventually they were hoping that you could actually buy your tickets directly through that. Mm. And they also had more or less like redone the navigation structure of the application to serve as a control center for all of these aspects. So previously you would have to go to different apps for uh, Uber transportation versus Uber eats versus I don't even know what the hell the package delivery thing. I I guess it's technically an <laughs> aspect of their business. I'm not really familiar with it because I'm not. I've, that. I've not heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, the, the same press conference, they were announcing that you can now book helicopters on Uber. So it's like, it's out of my pay grade. Of course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, the the cynical and probably fair way to look at this is, like, Uber announced that they were wanting to take a 30% cut of literally every transportation method you book through their mm. app or something stupid to that effect. Uh, like, that's more or less how I interpreted it. But it still gets your mind thinking, like, what is the operating system for everyday urban life in various environments? That's actually pretty interesting, um, if I may. Yeah. Um the local transit app that we use in London, well, that was like built in London and is, is mostly used by London, is called, is called City Mapper, mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's your standard um, uh, transit app. You know, it gives you directions. It gives you train times, bus times, shows you where, where all, the, uh, all the stops are and stuff. But in recent times, they've really, really expanded their reach. So they, they've added like cycle hire. They've added um car sharing they've added taxis stuff like that and one of the latest things they've they've um they brought out is their own city mapper card which is supposed to rival london's own oyster card and i'm guessing we're going to talk about this kind of stuff later but basically they offer you a subscription to the city and huh. with that with that card you get unlimited travel on you know, buses, uh, underground trains and all that, plus cycle hire, plus a certain amount of taxi trips. That's super interesting. I think when I went to Geneva, they had more or less like a transit card that could be used on all transit options that were available within the city, whether it be boats or mm. whatever, uh, which was actually kind of funny because there, mm. I had absolutely no reason to take a boat, but I was like, well, I got it for free and I'm a tourist, so why not? Oh, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, so I could sort of see them be going in that direction. And yeah, that that's mm. real cool. Uh, of course, Uber, like they're, they also have a subscription service, except it's a lot less enticing than what you just yeah. described <laughs> and it also involves food and uh, presumably package delivery i don't fucking know uh, <laughs> uh but yeah so i sort of came to this conclusion uh by thinking about this for a really long time like i couldn't really find an analog here in canada or north america very much because we hate transit uh Aww. and that's why i'm kind of interested in talking to you because like to, to me like everything that goes on in japan is super novel and innovative and like probably for someone who's been in europe more than i have it's like this is not news uh <laughs> it's probably done pretty well in japan i assume but it's not oh it's quite done a... very well in japan yes it's yeah done 
it's done probably a bit better, but um, yeah, like you said, most most of this stuff isn't exactly new. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the thing I got to with all of this like Uber press conference stuff is that railways are the backbone of everyday life in Japan. Yep. It, they're very much a services layer that facilitates everyday commerce. <laughs> like yeah, that's okay. to put it in the most like Uberish terms possible. And <laughs> the the way I would say it is it's reliable infrastructure for getting around. They built a reliable infrastructure for contactless payment atop of that to make getting around more convenient. Mm-hmm. They leveraged that battle-tested b- payment system to make in-station commerce more convenient. And then suddenly mm-hmm. people outside of stations wanted in on the fun. Because it turns mm-hmm. out that all of the advantages that make it good within the station are also good outside of stations. It reduces the amount of time spent handling cash. Uh, even though mm-hmm. Japan has those fancy-ass uh, cash registers that they dump a bunch of coins <laughs> into and it magically does everything for them, which is mind-blowing. Yep. Uh, <laughs> It allows for faster turnover in busy restaurants and convenience stores, which is something you want when you're in high population density environments like Tokyo. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you're thinking about today in 2020, uh, not touching stuff. Uh, so, yep. like, all of this brilliant stuff that was built around just, like, taking the train, uh, suddenly every major region of Japan is interoperable with Suica, which originally was just, like, Tokyo metropolitan area stuff. Yeah. And it became the de facto contactless payment method in Japan, ignoring all the QR code crap that I don't want to think about. (laughs) Uh, Like, it's more prominent than uh, credit cards and all of that stuff. And, like, that is why I'm so obsessed with it. It's, like, this to me, like, I don't want to go too far into the mobile payments rat hole because there is going to be another uh, mobile payments episode. Yes. But, like... (laughs) Japanese railways to me am I going to regret saying this (laughs) I don't know what you're going to say Japanese railways to me are kind of like how people imagine capitalism would be if it worked (laughs) which is like the incentives the incentives that lead to uh, to Japan rail being as good as it is are really built on the fact that like the tr- taking the train in Japan is relatively cheap, uh, and the reason it is is because oh, you don't think so? Mm, I mean, I, I, um, everything I keep hearing is that is that travel in Japan is actually pretty expensive, and I mean, as a Londoner, it's pretty much on par. But having like used transport in in like France and Italy, it's yeah, it's actually pretty expensive. Okay, well, to give you a frame of reference of like what I'm comparing it to, uh, mm-hmm. like again, like w- we don't value transit here, and more or less, like the the stance of the local governments is, if transit doesn't pay for itself, it's not really worth investing into. So, like uh, okay. to take the bus, I have to pay three dollars and thirty cents, regardless of distance. Uh, it might be more than that, actually. I think it's now three fifty if you're paying Ooh. cash. Which is, like, ridiculous for buses that come once every 30 minutes on weekdays and once every 60 minutes on weekends. Ooh, that is... That's painful. Yeah. And that's, that's really like painful. That's, like, not that bad for a city of our size. Which is why, like, to me, Japan seems miraculous. And, like, <laughs> when San Francisco people complain about BART and they're like, 
Bart is unreliable garbage. I'm like, well, you have way more buses than we do, so I don't really care <laughs> that it's more, not that reliable because at the end of the day, it's still more useful than what we have. Uh, and like, uh, to follow up on uh, the transit episode I did last year, uh, there have been major network changes within the last year uh, here in Tuakadia, mm. and my coworker uh, unfortunately has no transportless route uh, to get to her place. So once a week, she actually consistently misses a transfer at the mm. terminal because the transfers aren't designed correctly. Uh, so oh like, that just adds to the frustration all the time. So like, I, I guess I'm coming from pretty low. And since you're coming from pretty high, like, I guess I that's it. why yeah. we have good... Uh, this was a good idea to bring you on for a different reference point. Like, to me, Japan seems cheap and incredibly, like, convenient and all that stuff. Whereas, like, <laughs> I, I'm sure, like, if you compare it elsewhere in the world, it's maybe not quite so. Um, but yeah, getting back to, like, what I was trying to say, the accessibility of trains in Japan is really good. It's really well-made. And I think the way that they really do that is because they monetize the destination. And they're effectively like, mm. uh, if you play uh, Take the A-Train, which I recently bought for uh, PlayStation 1, uh, which is more <laughs> or less like this SimCity-esque game, you control a railway company that is effectively operating under the Japanese model. Mm-hmm. Like, most of your game is not actually spent wrestling the train network at all it's really just like managing the real estate around the train and making sure <laughs> that people take the train to go to the destinations and like I that's see. the actual game uh so that's kind of how i view japan and i think like it actually works out for the best in that case yeah no i think you've definitely got a point um when i think of a, of like a large station in japan i'm thinking of basically a shopping center yeah I mean, kind of like the way that this model manifests itself is like if you go to Shibuya, basically every building has a Tokyo logo on it. If you go to Yokohama, every building has a Sotetsu uh, logo on it. Like you have like these, it's almost like clan wars where you have like these giantly (laughs) dominated areas around the city where like the train company owns this block. And like, if you don't want to be there, then yeah. I'm surprised this isn't like a Yakuza game or something. You, you you know what you are absolutely correct and i think I, I i'm remembering even now that when i first moved to japan i used to live in in um in fukuoka prefecture uh on the island of kyushu and i remember when i when i first moved and like i saw this one name literally everywhere and that name was nishitetsu yeah and that's the local transport company in fukuoka and they owned literally everything like the train line they owned all the buses. They owned the taxi services. They owned the hotels. They owned the real estate agents. They owned my local supermarket. They owned literally everything. Yeah. And I, and we always thought, you know, why why do the train services end so early? Oh, it's so you can then take a Nishitetsu taxi or, <laughs> or, or spend the night in the Nishitetsu hotel. Brilliant. <laughs> it's like... It yeah it like you said it actually pretty much should be yeah because game. yeah um so I guess that's pretty much what I had in terms of like uh setup for talking mm. about train stations uh do you have anything you'd like to add to the context before we go into our favorite train stations 
Um, I mean, let me think. So I think I think what you're saying about you know the destination being monetized is is pretty much right there because even thinking back to you know my local stations that I used to frequent, the areas around um, the terminus stations, even though even though they might not be owned directly by Nishitetsu, they were bustling with business. They mm-hmm. were like the center of 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 of, of, of town basically. You know, if you wanted to go downtown, you took the train to to wherever and then you'd be right in the middle of the action and by action i mean shops and entertainment and all that yep. so there's there's and pretty much anywhere you you might want to go you know there's there's a convenient train that'll take you directly there there are very few places in japan that you can't get to by train sometimes they don't come very often a friend of the show canon has been taking like little day trips where he goes to random remote stations that have like two trains mm. a day just to visit them to post <laughs> photos to twitter and then gets back home uh oh that sounds wonderful as well yeah so shall we jump into uh to the favorite train stations let's go for it all right uh do you want to start or uh sure since we've been talking about uh <laughs> yeah since we've been talking about fukuoka and nishitetsu recently uh how could i not talk about my local, well, I say local, it was like, I I lived, I, I don't want to say in the sticks, because I lived technically in a city. <laughs> it was it was a place called Ogori. Uh, it was half an hour away by Fukuoka, by Nishitetsu train, of course. Um, but it's like a sleepy community town. There was nothing really in it. So my, my nearest big city um, was, was Fukuoka. And the, the main station, the main Nishitetsu station was called Nishitetsu Fukuoka Tenjin, and it was located in the downtown Tenjin area. And kind of like, you know, just to build up on what we've what we've already said, the station building itself is just a massive shopping center. So the trains come in on an elevated viaduct and they come in on, I think it was like the second floor, directly into the building. So you basically you walk off the train, you go through the gates, and you are now in a shopping center. So you've got shops all around you. Um, if you go down to the basement, there's a food hall, there's restaurants, you know everything you you want. If you go upstairs, there's a department store, you know loads of loads of gifts, loads of clothes, everything. Uh, I go up to the top floor. There was a Tower Records. I used to go there all the time. It was amazing. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, and like, I don't know, I don't know where, where our listeners are, 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 are living, but, you know, I want you to imagine the biggest, the biggest shopping center, you know, the biggest department store, you know, and probably double it because this thing was, was monstrous. And as shopping centers in Japan tend to be, they tend to be interconnected sometimes. So you might have, so you might start off in like a Mitsukoshi and then you go through some, some glass doors and suddenly you're in another building that's, that's now called Solaria Stage. And it's like, well, hang on, is this the same shop? Is this a different <laughs> shop? And it's like, <laughs> and it's like, you know, they're, they're two buildings, but they're connected by a walkway. Like what's going on here? And it's basically like, yeah, it's an indoor city of, of, of commerce. It's, it's ridiculous and it's, and wonderful at the same time. Yeah. 
um, everything you could ever want. And even even if you you leave the shopping center, you're right in in the heart of of downtown Tianjin. You've got tons and tons of other shops nearby. Um, I think the the sadly now defunct Tianjin Core was right outside. Um, my local Round One was you know a five minute walk away. Uh, there were two bit cameras again five minutes away. Uh, an Apple Store, a KFC, Kokoichi, you know, everything. <laughs> and just right there, just outside the train station. Yeah, I love the, these kinds of centers. And I guess like if I can connect it directly with my first favorite train station, which is unsurprising to many, Yokohama Station. <laughs> uh, like, I I think we sort of had the same talking points for it. So it's a nice transition, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the first night, well, first of all, Yokohama Station is the very first train station I ever got off at in Japan. Oh, uh, wow. When I went to Japan for the first time in 2012, I... Don't know why I did this, uh, but I decided that the first night I would spend it in Yokohama, go all the way out uh, on the Narita Express, Mm. get off at Yokohama, stay there, and then the next day I would go closer to Akihabara area. Uh, What I realized throughout that trip is I actually prefer Yokohama a lot more than the Akihabara area. Uh, Yes. I would just go there every time I would go to Japan (laughs) after. Uh, And on that first night, uh, after I had, like, brought my bags and everything to my room, uh, I decided to go back to Yokohama Station to go to uh, Yodabashi Camera and buy some tech stuff that I wanted. And I got lost. And I could not figure out at all how to get back to where I started. (laughs) Uh, I ended up just like walking around endlessly for like three hours or whatever. Uh, And eventually I would find a Minato Mirai line station that would take me back to more or less where I needed to be. So it was fine. (laughs) Can I, can I just say that actually sounds wonderful. (laughs) It is wonderful. I I mean, like nowadays I can pretty much get around Yokohama station by sound because I've been there like hundreds and hundreds of times. Uh, but like that that very first night it was absolutely wonderful to like be in this strange place i've never been in before be completely lost and i didn't care it was just awesome yeah. i could just take in everything around me because i had no idea where i was or where i wanted to go and yeah <laughs> it, it really solidified yokohama as the place that i loved a lot in japan uh, and yeah, like I've I've been there I think seven times on seven different trips. Uh, I've become inti- intimately familiar with the station. And one of the awesome things about it is like, yes, it has all of the shopping center qualities. Like every potential corner of the station is glued onto a shopping mall of some kind. Uh, mm. So it expands out into like this tentacles of shopping in every angle. <laughs> and it's great. Uh and uh, like I know all of the little nooks and crannies and all of the malls because I made it sort of my mission to sort of map out everywhere, <laughs> every corner. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that I am fascinated with with Yokohama Station in particular is I think I read a couple years ago, I was following one of these blogs for like Yokohama locals. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about like the roadmap for upcoming uh, station renovation. And I think like what they said is there has never been a day since the opening of Yokohama Station in I'm going to scroll up to the date because I said it earlier, like 18 something, 1872. There has never been a day since eight, since 1872 that Yokohama Station has not had any kind of re- renovation project active. Wow. <laughs> it is constantly changing. Uh, wow. And every year I come back and there's something new that happened, uh, like more recently, uh, what used to be called the Diamond, which was the underground shopping mall uh, owned by Sotetsu that was 
adjacent but not part of uh, Sotetsu Join Us, which is a meme. Uh, <laughs> now it's a part of Join Us, and there's like this sad uh, commemorative plate somewhere in the bottom of the Aww. diamond, which is like the diamond lives forever or something. And I took a photo of it, and it's like now it's that's meme status as well. Uh, it's just awesome there's a bunch of stuff to do around it of course there's a round one there there's like a million mm-hmm. electronic stores uh the few independent arcades left in yokohama are mostly around yokohama station uh there are not mm-hmm. very many unfortunately left um actually there are no independent stations left around yokohama station anymore rip mm-hmm. uh r.i.p <laughs> freedom which used to be the uh street fighter third strike spot around there uh, now mm-hmm. the only one that's sort of around there is, well, there are the round ones, the Taito stations, and there is Pasupi Yard, which is owned by Sega, technically, although they mm-hmm. don't really brag about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Yokohama Station is great. I love getting lost there. I love shopping there. Uh, it, it's just a, a feel-good station that I know very well, so I guess like that's kind of what we went with for our first picks. Yeah. Uh, what's your second pick? Well, actually, before that, you, you you were saying how Yokohama Station is is constantly changing and and modifying itself. Um, there's another station in Fukuoka that's actually been doing that, and that's Hakata Station. Yeah, that's the main the main JR station in in Fukuoka. Um, when I used to live there, it was it was just a station. It was you know flat, boxy. It was just. Well, I, I, I don't, I don't want to say a couple of platforms because it was actually <laughs> more like, you know, 16 platforms plus yeah. Shinkansen. Um, but it was literally just a station. And um, I left Japan in 2008. And when I first came back in 2011, it had completely changed. <laughs> As in, they'd they literally bolted on an entire shopping center on top of the station and completely changed all the internals and now it's a really classy shopping shopping center um with like four floors of 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 restaurants and a, a roof garden and there's even like a little kiddie train on, on, on the roof <laughs> which is pretty cool <laughs> um but yeah it just goes to show how quickly these these stations can change it's just it's, it's mind-boggling the speed at which they uh, th- they build and, and construct and renovate things in Japan. Yeah, it's nuts. Uh, Sakuragi Cho Station, which is a little bit further down the Keihin Tohoku from uh, Yokohama Station, uh, basically changed between trips for me. Uh, they mm. were building an entire new shopping mall on the... Uh, I don't even know what cardinal direction it's in, but like the entire right side of the station was basically like thrown out and rebuilt. And like mm-hmm. I got to see that... like between two trips and it was kind of fascinating it also means that the uh the model at the uh, model train museum has is out of date now and they need to redo it (laughs) excellent all right so so my next station um so this is kyoto station it's another jr station uh kyoto in obviously kyoto um i have no idea what the old station used to look like but the new one is so modern so <laughs> cutting edge it's i mean um i know this is this is an audio only medium and we don't have the benefit of 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 um of photos but um i mean i'm looking at the photos of it now and it is a cathedral of glass and steel imagine a a a, a facade the the front of the building is is pretty much made up entirely of these square panels of glass 
uh, held up by this 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 metal lattice from behind. From outside, it just like you can just see the reflections of the buildings outside. You can just see the blueness of the sky from the inside. It's so tall. Like I said, it's a cathedral. It's so airy. Like the ends of the station,、uh, I believe, are open, so you just get fresh air coming in、um, all the time.、Uh, just the expanse of glass means there's always light coming in from outside. It's it's just so incredibly modern, futuristic, airy, spacious. It's just. I don't know how else to describe it. it. It's just, I just really, really like the architecture. It's, it's, it's really bold as well. Because let's not forget, Kyoto is 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 one of the oldest cities in Japan. It's got, I don't know how many temples, how many examples of old architecture in it, and to and for this city to also host one of the most modern stations I know is is a really bold statement. I think. So, preparing for this episode, I was reading a lot of the Japanese Railway and Transit Review,、uh, which is this trade magazine that is luckily available for free on the internet、uh, mm-hmm. about、uh, the entire railway industry in Japan. And I was referring a lot to like these older、uh, these older issues from like the mid nineties, early two thousands, and stuff like that. And there was actually a mention. I don't remember what issue. I think it was maybe one of the ones from the mid nineties. That was is talking about the Kyoto Station redesign. So it was、mm. it, like they had just shown the plans and what I was reading. So I don't remember exactly how long ago that would be, but their worry was that、uh, Kyoto's two previous stations、uh, were all more or less based on older architecture, and they were worried that this new modern-looking Kyoto Station was going to ruin the the look of Kyoto. Uh, and I didn't really find opinions of it afterwards in the other issues I had read, but I just find it funny that it was on your list. <laughs> I mean, I think that's 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 pretty funny to say it's going to ruin the look of Kyoto because I mean I don't have photos of the of the square outside Kyoto Station, but the square outside Kyoto Station is a dump. It's <laughs> just, I mean, there's nothing to ruin outside the station, so. <laughs> Literally, don't worry about that.、Um, <laughs> um, but but maybe the concern is it looked better before, and now it looks worse, and like everything around it is that is possible looks worse because of it. That is absolutely possible.、Um, but I will also say that from my experience,、um, Japan tends not to be terribly precious about old architecture. That's true.、Um, I think unless it's historic,、uh, unless it's something that would bring in the tourists, like you know the castles or a shrine or something, they tend to see old buildings as as a nuisance.、Uh, you know, especially if it's not up to to earthquake code. It's like, yeah, whatever. It's you know, it's it's a rubbish old building. Just tear it down and build a new one. It's a very Apple like approach to <laughs> to old technology. <laughs> yeah. Um. But also tying tying back into what we were saying before about shopping centers, Kyoto Station isn't necessarily a shopping center in itself. It does have shopping centers to either side of it. I certainly remember there being a, a big bit camera attached to one, to, attached to it.、Um, but there are you know a small smattering of shops and restaurants and stuff inside the station, 
and they're arranged quite pleasingly like they're they're arranged in in like steps i i kind of likened it to a bit of a ziggurat as in mm. you start off on on the ground floor and there are um escalators going all the way up you know to the first floor um where there are some restaurants there what what this reminds me the most of is an airport like this would make a killer yes. airport and you know what have you been to the international terminal at haneda no because their restaurant and shop setup is very similar to that. Ah. Where it's like you've got steps going up and on each step is, is, is a smattering of, of shops and restaurants. Yeah, yeah I, really like, I really like that style. Yeah, it's gorgeous. For some reason. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of gorgeous things, uh, my next pick is, uh, sticking with tradition, not one pick, but multiple picks. Uh, I'm going to put the entire Minato Mirai line on here. Yes! Uh, and <laughs> this is kind of, I, I think, like, we're in on the joke, uh, so I should kind of explain the joke. <laughs> so the Minato Mirai line is a 4.2 kilometer line extension to the Tokyo Toyoko line that prolongs the line from Yokohama Station to Yokohama Chinatown. It's a ripoff. Uh, the entire area is extremely walkable. Uh, it's more expensive than taking literally any other train that can go there. It's like it's kind of stupid that this even exists, um, <laughs> but it does. Uh, construction began in 1995, and the line opened in 2004, which I guess is longer than I expected. Uh, but what's <laughs> special about the Minato Mirai line is that each station was designed by a different uh, design studio. Mm. And the inspiration for this was the Concorde in Toulouse. It's a 15-station, 10-kilometer mini-metro where each station was designed by a different studio. Mm -hmm. And, like, the reason I put this on my list is it's honestly kind of sad that there are all of these beautiful stations that are wasted online you have no fucking reason to ride on it whatsoever. <laughs> like, like, sometimes, like... The best that'll happen is, like, if you're really drunk or something and you're coming back from, like, Shibuya or whatever, you'll maybe stick it out until, like, uh, well, I guess it's technically Minato Mirai Station, which is equivalent to JR Sakuragicho. And maybe you'll go, like, eat at the Shake Shack there and then yes. get back home. Like, that. that's what I did last time I was in Japan. Like, Same. <laughs> like, yeah, like, that's more or less where you'll stop because you have no reason really to go past it. And, like... I could get off at uh, Motomachi uh, Chukagai or whatever, the, the Chinatown stop, which yep. is relatively close to where I'm staying, but it's not as close as just, like, taking the JR or <laughs> even just, like, walking from Sakuragicho is more fun than, like, sticking on the train and just, like... So it, it's kind of a waste. Uh, my personal favorite is Bashamichi Station, which is more or less, mm. like, this underground dome structure, which looks absolutely uh, striking when you see it. Uh, so mm -hmm. if I had to absolutely pick one, I would pick that one. There are pictures up on uh, Wikipedia, and I've tried to take photos, but it's actually kind of tricky to take photos of that place if you don't have, like, a wide enough lens to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it looks absolutely amazing. But again, like, no reason whatsoever to take it. Like, I think more or less the only reason you would take this is if you have some sort of weird commuter pass set up, and, like, this is the closest station to your office. Like, maybe? <laughs> but, like, Why? <laughs> And it, they're not particularly busy stations either. I have to admit, I have taken the Minato Mirai several times, um, mostly to go to Motomachi Chukagai and then get off and then walk back to Minato Mirai. But yeah, 
Yeah, it's like you you do it once because you want to see the stations, but then it's like, well, what's the point? It's it's kind of, yeah, it's really just baffling. I will say my favorite station on on that line is Minato Mirai Station, um, just because of 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 the way. Like the station is, of course, in the basement of a big shopping center. Yeah, I love how it's integrated and, in there. Yeah, and you take these these escalators up into the shopping center, and and there, there there's a bit where like you're on the escalator and you look you look down and there's like two levels of platforms beneath you, and then you look up and there's all the other floors of the shopping center above you, and it's just this this this, this straight shot down into the station. It's it's really impressive. Yeah, when I was lost in Yokohama Station, I ended up walking all the way to uh, to Queen Square, which is where uh, Minato, Minato Mirai Station is based, yeah. basically. And like that was my view, and I was like, "Oh, this is sick as hell." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I, I had known you had told me like, "Oh, don't take Minato Mirai Line; it's kind of a rip off." And I was like, "Yeah, but this is sick as fuck." <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so I'm done with that. So, what's your next station? Okay, so this this is a station I haven't actually been to myself, but it looks really cool and I want to be able to visit it one day. <laughs> so this is completely different to what we've been talking to. So this is a station in the middle of literally nowhere. This is Doai Station in Gunma Prefecture. It's a JR station. It's literally in the middle of a valley. There's like there's nothing around it there's there's like one road that, that goes that goes to the station i i can't even see that many houses near it um it's just it's just your typical inaka station inaka being like you know countryside in in, in japan so what's what's so interesting about it well the station building itself is interesting uh it kind of it kind of looks like an a in like a concrete a um you've got uh, like a long station building with this A-shaped arch um, at the entrance. And it's kind of like, that's a strikingly modern entrance for such a remote station. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of makes me think, like, what what were they thinking when they, when they were building this? It's kind of like, it's, it's certainly lost on the locals because this station only gets about 22 passengers a day. <laughs> um, so, hmm. So then we look at the platforms. It's got two island platforms. Um, southbound platform, it's just it's just a strip of concrete next to next to a rail line. There's literally nothing to talk about whatsoever. So what's the so what's the reason I talk about this? Well, the reason is for the northbound platform because the northbound platform isn't actually next to the southbound platform. Uh, the northbound platform is actually underneath the nearby hill. Um, it's actually 70 meters beneath the nearby hill. Um, it's actually 486 steps beneath the ground. And it takes you about 10 minutes to walk there. And once you get there, you are inside a tunnel alone, because remember, this only, the station only gets 22 visitors a day. And to make matters worse, uh, this station is unmanned, so there's no staff. <laughs> so... So once again, you walked 10 minutes down some steps to go into an underground tunnel into, you know, a single platform with no staff and no other passengers. And there's only you. <laughs> it's creepy as heck. 
and I love it, and I want to visit it one day. I wonder how many people are actually on the train when you get on it. I have no idea. I, I, I bet it's even like, it's probably even just like a single car. Yeah, maybe. It might only be like one train every hour or something. I would imagine, yeah. It just, it's so weird that for the two different directions, there are two complete different <laughs> platforms. And one of them is, is, is literally 10 minutes away. <laughs> it's just, it's bizarre. I mean, at least you have some variety. Like if I was living there, I would be like, at least I have like different looking platforms instead of just the same thing flipped. Yeah, like maybe like, you know, in, 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 in the morning, like, you know, you take the southbound platform and it's, you know, oh, it's like, oh, you know, this is this is fine. And then when you get home in the, in the evening, you've got to walk 10 minutes up the steps and you get your, you know, you get your step count in that way. Yeah. <laughs> get your exercise. <laughs> That's neat as hell. I also have a remote station, but before that, I want to f- finish off my big city stations. Uh, uh-huh. So next one is Kawasaki Station, JR Kawasaki to be exact, uh, because I think mm-hmm. KQ Kawasaki is completely different. Uh, mm-hmm. It's well connected to Tokyo and the rest of Kanagawa Prefecture. And uh, because it has the Nambu line that connects there, it's a good connection spot for the more remote residential areas near the Tokyo, Tokyo Kanagawa border. The reason this is on here is because my main clubbing spot, uh, Tsukiyakari Terasu, is near a Kawasaki Station. And mm-hmm. often I'll just head there a bit early and go hang out at the arcades and do some light shopping in the area. Uh, like a lot of the stations we've mentioned, it's connected to three different malls, La Zona, Azalea, and the Atore, which is part of the station building. And there are mm. a few things in the Atore that I actually like. Uh, so first thing is uh, on the second floor of Kawasaki Atore, there's uh, a long glass hallway. You can just go sit in there seating there and there's a Starbucks right next to it. So often I'll just go like, go grab a coffee and just like watch people on there uh, <laughs> walking out of the stations. It's just like a real nice spot to just chill out and whatever. And usually by the time I'm there, uh, like it's on weekends. So p- many people aren't working and uh, it's like 10 a.m. or whatever. So it's like mm-hmm. real quiet and I get to sit instead of like being in line for an hour at Starbucks, which sucks. Um, third floor of Kawasaki Atore has this, uh, little, uh, drinking joint called Furumaya, and they are known for having 200 yen Nihonshu vending machines. Uh, so Mm. you just like put in your two 100 yen coins into the thing, you spin the deal and you get your sake. Uh, there are six different varieties on display at a time and they tweet about when they update it. Uh, so Sometimes when they're uh, when I meet my friends there or whatever to go to karaoke or whatever, we just stop there first. <laughs> nice. Preload a little bit. Uh, Azalea has a very nice food court with lots of variety, uh, and it's also interestingly connected to Dice, which is another mall which holds Silk Hat Kawasaki, which for music gamers is a very important area because that is where most of the major location tests for Konami music games take place. Uh, uh-huh. so, yeah, so you get all of that right in the the same station so it's not a particularly exciting station although the uh the la zona was recently i think they finished renovating it or whatever it has changed significantly uh in the last few years um so yeah it's pretty nice spot and it's more there for personal reasons than for any objective uh this is a cool station reason but uh Mm -hmm. it's it's important to me um yeah so, I think you didn't have another pick, right? Uh, well, I had a couple of 
bonusy picks. Um, but I guess we can we can save them for later. Okay, well, I'll just do my last station, and then we'll go yep. into the bonus. So the final station on my list is, once again, one that I've never actually been to, but I would like to visit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the main reason that it's not there is because it's way up north in Aomori Prefecture. <laughs> <laughs> it's Todoroki Station, uh, which is in Fukaora Aomori Prefecture, which is a town of 7,903. They have a population density of 16 people per square kilometer. Hell yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, uh, I'll send you a photo of this. It's nice. Uh, you'll get it, I think. Oh. So it's on the JR Gonol line, which is a 147 kilometer line along the Sea of Japan that links Akita Prefecture with Aomori Prefecture. <sighs> and yeah, you get it. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. looks absolutely gorgeous in snowy weather. Uh, it is the complete opposite of anything I've described. It just looks like a shack next to the sea. It's yeah. <laughs> awesome. This used to be my lock screen wallpaper a long, long time ago. And I should probably get back to that because it looks awesome. I'll put the link to the photo in the show notes. Uh, yeah, it's... I kind of want to go to Aomori Prefecture just for that. Um, I, I think like if I didn't have so many friends in Tokyo and... Uh, around Yokohama, I would probably be interested in going to Aomori more often, uh, just because the mm. climate is much more familiar to something that I'm used to. And uh, as someone who has suffered through a Japanese summer recently, uh, I don't really like that. And if I had to live there, I would probably <laughs> like to be up north, uh, where it is much more livable. Um, but yeah, it looks really awesome. Uh, and I would love to go see that. I get that. I'm I'm looking at the photo you sent me now and it's just it's a station by the seaside. It's just I could I can I can picture myself there just, you know, sitting in the little shack, looking out at the sea, listening to the waves. It's just beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I I've shown the station a couple times to other people and they're like, This is so out of character for you. Like you don't even <laughs> like nature. And I'm like, Yeah, but they got me with the snow though. <laughs> yes yes <laughs> that is wonderful that's it for my picks uh i think you have some pretty interesting bonus picks that i have stuff to say about to talk oh, yes. about so l- let's get into that so i guess first first of all we can go into uh something that you may not be familiar with and that is the linimo actually i have been on the linimo <laughs> you have oh yeah. excellent so the linimo it's it's a maglev um in Nagoya, in Aichi Prefecture. It was built for the 2005 Expo, and I actually first took it during that Expo. I had just arrived in Japan, and um, I knew that the Expo was in Nagoya, and I just thought, well, you know, got to go to the Expo. Um, (laughs) So I I did, and it was an absolute shit show. Um, I mean, I mean, transport-wise, okay. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so I I remember taking the the, the JR line um, to the nearest station to the expo, which was I think Yakuin Station, um, which is a pretty, you know, a fairly big JR station. And then from there, you had the choice of either uh, taking a private taxi, uh, taking a coach, that's a bus, um, walking if you wanted to walk for like 45 minutes or taking the linimo and me being a sucker for trains of course (laughs) i said 
I want to take the cool magnetic floaty train. Of course I did. Who doesn't? Um, exactly. Um, only problem was there was like, I want to say like an hour and a half queue to get oh, onto no. the Linimo. Uh, I mean, you know, the buses weren't that much better. I think there was like a half hour queue to just get a bus. Um, there was just so many people. This was like in in the fi- in the last few weeks of the expo, so this was like the final rush. Um, but I have I have read reports of of the Linimo when it first opened, and it really didn't perform too well <laughs> at any any point during during the expo's lifetime, um, unfortunately. Uh, but I had the opportunity to go back to Nagoya um, two years ago, and. I managed to ride the Linimo this time <laughs> with a zero minute wait, yeah, uh, which was infinitely better. And I went, act- I went, actually went back to where the expo used to be. And now instead of the expo, there is a um, an expo memorial park, and it's just basically the grounds of where the expo used to be. And it's just a lovely, lovely park now. There are lots of different paths, different walkways with lots of different types of of, of trees and plants and stuff. And one of the most interesting things inside the park, which was present during the expo as well, was the the house featured in My Neighbor Totoro. Mm. So if you remember, I think was it... uh, Saki and and May's house. I think that's right, yeah. Yeah, so they actually built a replica of that house for the expo. And I think the first time I went to the expo, I I actually hadn't seen uh, Totoro yet, so I don't think I actually managed to to ever visit the house when I was there originally. And this time when I went back to the park, uh, this was after hours, so it was closed, so I still couldn't go and see it. (laughs) Uh, I managed to see the outside of it, though. And it's inside this, like, um, y- you take this this rather long walk to get there and it's kind of, like, hidden away in a little valley. And it's it's really, really pleasant. And I believe that that is also the location of the upcoming upcoming Studio Ghibli uh, theme park. So they're actually going to remove the Expo Memorial Park and put the Studio Ghibli theme park in its place. That's interesting. Um, but I, I put this on, on my list just because... Again, I'm a sucker for for special trains, maglevs included. It's just a nice ride. It's all it's all elevated. Uh, you get a lovely view of the surrounding area, and the park itself is just it's just fantastic. I love it. I took the Linimo in 2013 to go to the Toyota Car Museum. Oh, okay. So yeah, that's how I knew it. And I think you had told me afterwards, like, oh yeah, this is the thing they built for the expo, and it didn't really yeah. go that well. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It was fine when I went because probably 2013 they had ironed out the stuff by then. But yeah, it was pretty neat, right? It was less exciting than I had thought it was going to be. Yeah, yeah. You certainly can't you can't tell it's a maglev. <laughs> yeah, like I don't know. Growing up, like in the early 2000s, that was all like, oh, we're gonna have these maglev trains and it's gonna be amazing. And I was like all hyped up, and then I was like, oh, <laughs> it basically feels the same as any other train. Yeah, I mean, it's not one of those super fast maglevs in, in Germany or, or Korea or anything like that. It's, yeah. just, it's just literally, it could have been a regular rail line. Yeah. But it they was had the to be Expo, fancy. so they had to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I think I think one of the, the original issues were, were they had during the Expo was they were just packing too many people inside the trains. Mm. And, 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 and the trains just weren't able to levitate. Oh, no. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> just too heavy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. And I think the second bonus pick is is one that I think we both know very well, and yes. that is ge- the general area of Odaiba and the wonderful mono. Uh, well, the, it's not a monorail, but it is it is uh, an automated train that um, that goes around it, the Eureka Mome line. The Eureka Mom line, yes, as we call it, uh, Spirit Snare, and I called it. That. <laughs> <laughs> right? Can you say that again? The Eureka Mom line. <laughs> nice yeah um this 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 um shares a lot of similarity with another line that i'm i'm infatuated with uh in london called the docklands light railway uh which is another light railway line um that goes around a a new development so odaiba is basically a set of reclaimed islands in tokyo bay and they were constructed, I can't, I'm afraid I don't have the dates right now, but basically um, they wanted to construct this new residential and entertainment center in Tokyo Bay. So they, they created these little islands and then this railway was central in making sure that people were able to commute in and out of it. And this, and like I said, this 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 is very very similar to how the Docklands uh, sprang up in, in in London and how the Docklands Light Railway was absolutely key in making sure that that area uh, was going to be successful. Um, so one of the some of the the biggest things on on Odaiba that I I really really enjoy uh, are of course <laughs> shopping centres uh, such as. Um, uh, what's it called? Dock? Oh no, not dock. Dex. Dex. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, Dex and V and Venus Fort. I love Venus Fort. It's so good. I love Venus Fort too. Um, so for those of you who don't know what Venus Fort is, it's an indoor shopping center. So no windows. It's completely indoor, but it is themed to Venice at night, and it's full of like it's it's full of basically sh- uh, clothing shops. And I think there's there's a couple of restaurants, so it's 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 aimed more at a, at a female audience, shall we say, or at least a dating audience. Yeah. But I just love that shopping center. It's just got such a cool atmosphere. I mean, who who doesn't want to be in Venice at night? And like you're walking down one of the one of the main corridors, and you get to this this plaza that's just a fountain, and it's just it's just wonderful. I I love it. It's so <laughs> special to me. <laughs> it, in fact, the the whole area of Odaiba is so special to me. I wrote I wrote a I want to say a semi famous guide on how yeah. to visit it for the first time. <laughs> I think I read it on the uh, on the Tokyo Travel Guide episode. Yeah, that's right. And it's just a very very special little island to me. It's just got a lot of little little areas like inside decks there's there's an entire floor that looks like an old um uh, like post-war japan shopping street pre-war japan like an old-timey japanese shopping street show era um, yeah that's it show era shopping street and and of course how can we forget um outside um Another big department, uh, sh- another big uh, shopping center, uh, Diver Diver City. There is, of course, the infamous 
Gundam statue. Yeah, now it's a Gundam unicorn. <laughs> yes, um, I've actually I've actually got a, a photo. I've, I've I've been there uh, several times. I got a photo of um, of me in front of the the Gundam statue when it was like the old original Gundam and in front of the old uh, in front of the new unicorn Gundam as well. It's so cool, and at <laughs> night it lights up. And there's like smoke effects, and there's a projection mapping show. It's oh. <laughs> Have you been since uh, they've put the what is it called? I think it's the Gundam base on the top of uh, Diver City, where you can just yes. like buy Gundams. It's yes. insane. Yes, I've I've been to Gundam base. It's yeah, it's just a big Gundam shop, and it's and I think that there's like there's an experience inside it as well. I I, I didn't I didn't do it, but I think there's like a, some kind of maybe 4D cinema or something in there as well. I don't remember it's... seeing that, but there was an entire half of the store that was dedicated to building gunplay models and yes. you could borrow tools and painting rooms and all of that stuff. It was yes. really cool. Uh, we almost spent way too much money in there. Uh, <laughs> it was ridiculous. And yeah, I, I was floored when I saw that. It's so cool. And also, did you know that the that, uh, the the arcade in that in in Diver City also has some really old Bimani stuff in it? Yeah, it's in the Spocha section. Yes. Yeah, I saw an Ace style when I was there last time. It was really weird. Yes. Yeah. So th- that's pretty cool. Yeah, Odaiba's great. Uh, I've been maybe two or three, no, three four times. Uh, with different people just to like uh, mm-hmm. go see stuff. Um, recently, there was this, um, I don't know how you call these things. There, These art exhibitions that are more or less like manufactured to be Instagram magnets. Mm, uh, yes. The I forgot the name of the lab who does it. I think it's called Team Lab Japan or something like that. Yes. Uh, they had one at Zep Tokyo, which is in Odaiba. So I went there with a couple of friends and then we went to go eat in Venus Fort. And uh, two of my friends were on their first time to japan so i took them around the whole odaiba trip and that was where i met the subaru forester mascot uh famously Uh, (laughs) so yeah there's some good times to be had in odaiba and uh actually yeah that's the other thing is like uh spirit snare or maddie who was the previous guest on the last guest episode that we did Mm -hmm. uh we went to uh, Oedo Onsen Monogatari, which is mm. a hot spring theme park-ish thing that they have in Odaiba. Uh, and I went there with them like right before I was going to spend the whole night at an anime rave. Uh, wow. At uh, <laughs> Tennis no Mori, uh, cl- classic station. Uh, so yeah, I, that was really cool. And yeah, the the rave was really cool as well, but I was not prepared for how much energy it was going to drain out of me. <laughs> um, so as soon as the train started again, I went the hell out of there and I took actually uh, Yuriko Mome in the opposite direction from Kamiket, which was happening at the same time. Uh, oh. <laughs> so it was actually pretty insane because I had the entire reverse side Yurika Mome by myself and I could see people on the platforms like trying to get on yes. the other direction it was nuts uh so yeah ic- iconic experiences to be had on the Yurika Mome for sure and like the first time I went to Japan I took a bunch of photos on that trip to Odaiba that are still in my heavy rotation of wallpapers uh yes. largely thanks to your guide which was phenomenal so Aww, yeah thank you that was great it's funny you mentioned Kamiket because I was just looking through some of my old photos and yeah, I went to Comicet one year, and just looking at at the photos of 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 me coming out the station and this 
sea of people, <laughs> like shoulder to shoulder, packed, packed, just waiting to get into Tokyo Big Sight. It just gives me the shivers nowadays. Yeah, I think we all have like photos like that with like heavy like, population ooh. density, or it's like very cringeworthy right now. Yeah, yeah, and like <laughs> e- even like uh, I think one or two weeks ago was Reitai Sai the. Toho version of Kamiket, more or less. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they canceled this year. I think it was in person, and I was seeing people ah. tweeting about it, and I was just like, this sounds like a bad idea. But mm. uh, I guess we'll see. I, I'm like, I I think pretty much everyone who has been to Japan really wants to go back to Japan right now. And yes. uh, it's at the same time, you have to juggle like, what is the Japanese government going to do? What is my local government going to do? What is my desire to go to Japan? And what is safe to do? Which is yeah. like this crazy algebra that you have to do to justify going to Japan. At the moment, I'm planning like two or three separate trips to Japan. <laughs> Various dates. Yeah, it's just going to be like, I don't know when I'm going to be able to go back. But it, like that, I know that my next three years are booked. <laughs> Like, I I don't know what the impact of the Olympics on travel is normally, which made it really hard to, like, guess when I was going to go to Japan next. I was originally Mm. planning on, like, February 2021, depending on what the prices were. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, first of all, I'm not sure that is even going to happen. And I, with the Olympics being pushed back, I'm not even sure the Olympics are going to happen. Like, I have no idea. It's just like a big question mark. Uh, But I know that my friends are like, hey, maybe I'll see you next year. And I'm like, don't get your hopes up. (laughs) (laughs) Even my grandmother's begging me to come and visit her in in, in Rome. And I'm like, yeah, I don't I don't know if I can. (laughs) Yeah, that is crazy. Mm. Uh, so I think that's everything we had for today. No, I think I was I was just going to say I think that's that's pretty much it for for the, for the Japanese uh, rail systems. I don't know if you had any any questions about my experiences like in around Europe or mm, questions. Not so much. I just wanted the additional perspective as to like mm. what we were talking about. Like I haven't seen uh, like my rail experience is extremely limited in Europe in general. I've been. Mm. Like, within Geneva, I've been there. I took the train between Paris and Geneva. Yeah. I went... Where did I go? To Zurich by train. And that is, like, about all the training I did in uh, (laughs) Europe. So, unfortunately, I don't have very many, like, things to talk about on that front. (laughs) How was was the idea of, of taking an international train to you? Like, across country borders? Yeah. So, like, country borders are a weird thing for me because I'm used to Canada-US border. And, like, US border is more or less, like, you are treated like a criminal regardless of everything. Uh, Especially if you're, like, mildly darker than anyone else. Uh, So I'm just like, eh, I don't like borders. Then when I went to Europe, I was kind of blown away because, I like, I showed up at the airport. And first of all, like, the, the... the European borders at the airports are like a joke compared to uh, U.S. customs. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is actually the customs line. I was looking for something more official than this. And I was like lost. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so like there's that. And then there's like getting off the trains. Uh, like when, when I did the France to Geneva thing, like, I don't even think anyone asked to see my passport. I just like got off the train and it just happened. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, or like, uh, we would rent cars to go to France to go do the groceries because it was cheaper than doing it in Geneva, in Geneva. (laughs) <laughs> and like the border officers were off like to the side smoking or whatever and they're just like weaving us through and i'm like what the fuck is this like this is that's not how you do border security uh so i i saw the better world that we could be living in if uh if only we could stop treating everyone like criminals by default um so yeah. i mean like it, it would be cool but like i it feels so far out of my frame of reference that like i <laughs> i don't even know i mean I don't, I don't know how, how jealous you might be of this, but like one of my most frequent, uh, train, like long distance train trips I do is, okay. So, uh, admission. I love, I love Disneyland. I'm a, I'm a Disneyland geek. Yeah. Deal with it. Um, so Disneyland Paris is, is, is my local park and I've got an annual pass. So (laughs) I go there pretty often. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And it absolutely is. And I mean, we should mention that you're in London. Yes, yeah, so think I live in London. It. I live in London, and th- th- I just take a single train to get to Disneyland Paris. I just take the Eurostar high speed train. Oh, that makes sense. In in three hours, I'm I'm in the happiest place on earth. But it's just <laughs> it's it's wonderful. I think the, the the European high speed rail network is is fantastic. It owes a lot, of course, to the Shinkansen because um, mm-hmm. the Shinkansen was you know was the was the first dedicated uh high-speed rail network in the world um but the french took it they built the the, the tgv the the train à grande vitesse and they they created this this wonderful network of compatible high-speed lines all over europe and it's just wonderful it's just fantastic how you can get around europe without having to take a plane without having to drive everywhere and 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 like like you noticed, you know, thanks to the Schengen Agreement, you don't. There aren't really any borders between the countries. Of course, there are, there are borders between the UK <laughs> and the rest of Europe. But um, who's trying yeah. not to bring that up? <laughs> yeah, let, let's let's not. <laughs> so yeah, I think I think Europe sees train travel uh, not necessarily with the same amount of reverence I think the Japanese do, but a very similar amount. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in in London, it's like, why would you need a car in London? The public yeah, I hear transport that a lot. here is is so good, and you know, and um, although our ticketing system perhaps isn't isn't quite as integrated as Suica, uh, in many other ways, it, it's 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 still a lot better. <laughs> but um, but yeah, with with a single with a single pass, you can go literally anywhere in London um for not a lot of money and it's it's just fantastic and it's the same story in 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 most other european cities so i don't know if i'm allowed to also plug one of my own projects um but one of my my final year university project was a virtual tour of the paris metro called metex and um I i did it basically because i i really really love the paris metro it's it's got wonderful architecture it's not just you know a set of tunnels in the ground um with some vehicles that get you from a to b it's it's got real character it's 
it's it's a place you really want to explore. It's and and like I said, it's got it's got its own architecture. It's got its own history. It's even got its own smell. And it's a really actually it's a very nice perfume actually <laughs> that's good that's usually not the case for underground trains no no, no. It, literally like when when they clean the floors uh their cleaning machines um put a layer of this perfume on on the floor <laughs> nice. so when you step on it, it it kind of activates um it's just it's a wonderful system and 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 yeah i i adore it and i use it when every time i go back i'm so jealous of that um like I'm within walking distance of the railway station here in Tuolumne, except it has been inactive for as long as I can remember, like maybe 15 years upwards of that. Wow! Um, like passenger trains basically make no use of it at all anymore. They just bypass it, which is kind of crazy. Uh, a couple years ago, I went to Winnipeg by train and I had to basically drive to Quebec city, which is an hour away just to take the train. Um, I guess technically Shawinigan uh, is like 40 minutes away and has a working passenger station. And I am, I have no idea why Shawinigan, which is a smaller city and I can trash talk it because I was born there. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's a smaller city, like why they still have passenger service and we don't like, I don't get it, but it just sucks because like you don't have much of an option to get anywhere aside from taking the bus or hitching a ride with someone. And that really sucks. And as a train fan, I would like to ride trains more at the same time. Like I'm not under any impression that the train service is any good here uh, because I know Mm. it's not, I did the journey to Winnipeg and it took a day and a half and it was not particularly pleasant uh, as pleasant as I had hoped. Um, Especially since there are large swaths of, going across Canada where there is absolutely no wireless networking whatsoever. Uh, that mm. is boring and you just sleep. Um, but yeah, it, it, I wish we had more, uh, more rail in general here that was viable. Mm. And I think to bring it back to the topic of stations, uh, which was ostensibly the topic of this episode, <laughs> I think that's something that my daily commute kind of would benefit from is i don't feel like i'm coming back like i I feel like i'm coming back to a place because i get off at the same bus stop every day but like i don't feel like there is this network of utilities around the place where i get off the bus Mm. it's just where i get off the bus and i feel like train stations accomplish that way more there's like i don't want to call it a safety net but that's kind of how i see it is like you know you're going to have a certain base level of services at more or less yeah. every station, except maybe the more rural rural ones we talked about, uh, where like there's going to be convenience store, there's going to be some level of freaky vending machine, there's going to be yeah. uh, a Becker's or something. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And even even thinking now to like my own uh, travel, even here in London, um, I'm thinking of of the stations I I get off at and there aren't necessarily any shopping centers at the station I get off at, but there certainly are around the station I get off at. Whereas in Japan, the station you get off at is the shopping center. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And you can look at stuff like, uh, like Ginza station, which has the Jiro dreams of sushi, sushi restaurant within it. And there is <laughs> like, you can get uh Michelin star rated food in train stations. And like, you yeah. wouldn't really see that here. Um, so yeah, it's just a fascinating uh, glimpse into this world that we have been to, and 
would love to return to <laughs> soon if possible uh, absolutely yes but for 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 now this will have to do so uh if people want to find you where i mean like most of your internet presence is private so i guess <laughs> yes um well i guess you can take a look at the Paris Metro uh, experience I talked about before. I haven't got a domain for it yet, so its temporary address is still metex.sblog.org. Uh, that is m-e-t-e-x dot s-b-l-o-r-g-h dot o-r-g. Uh, so if you want to find the show notes for this episode, where I'll put that link and also... Uh probably links to various Wikipedia articles for all of these stations. Uh, you can find them at limitlesspossibility.net slash 145. Or you can find the entire back catalog of our episodes at limitlesspossibility.net. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Sakurina. That's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. Uh, if you want to follow Luc Olivier, who is unfortunately not here this week, uh, he is at Luconouch. That's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. Go to give him a nice little congrats on moving. Uh, and we'll see you in two weeks. Or I'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> see you in two weeks.